something is moving in the fog. Who's there? Something not quite human. Who is that? In Halloween, John Carpenter created a night of absolute fear. Now, he has conjured an evil so intense, not even the dawn can drive it away. The Fog, a study in unrelenting terror. Rated R. It's that time of year. Nope, not Christmas time, but it is David's favorite time of the year. We're inching towards Shocktober, and we're actually going to start it a little bit early this year. Welcome back to Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's right. We're starting Shocktober just just a smidge early. We have another little special surprise in early October that may not be of the horror genre uh, that we're going to squeeze in there. So we just we 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 talked to our 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 uh, Mr. John Carpenter and we asked his official approval if we could start outside of Shocktober. He said absolutely. So with so that, it's going to roll in. Yeah, it's going to roll in like the fog. The fog. Oh. Yes. So it's time. We've we've been we've we've uh, spoken about a, a lot of Carp- Mr. Carpenter's early works already. We've covered Assault on Precinct Thirteen. We've covered Halloween. We've covered Escape from New York. We're gonna work in the one that got away, and it's the fog here this week. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. The fog. The fog. Have we done the thing yet? Did we talk about? No, thing? we're That's... saving that for uh, for uh, a very special time like yeah that's a big thing. one yeah i talk about the thing every day so probably you're just used to that yeah yeah <laughs> sitting around the studios you know batting around ideas and i just keep pitching the thing over and over and over but what about the thing <laughs> what about yeah. if there's this group of scientists in the ice and no right. <laughs> um Okay, yeah, well, we've got a, We've got a really exciting month of October coming up. We've got a lot of special guests who are going to be joining us. Some some cool programming coming your way. So definitely stay tuned uh, and and uh, check it out in the coming weeks. Um, we're real excited about it. But today, like I said, we're going to talk about the fog. Uh, Brent, you're yes. you are probably the longest longest running horror aficionado here of the three of us. When was, uh, what's your earliest memory of the fog? When was the first time you saw it or heard about it? Uh, I mean, pretty early on. I remember the, the poster when it came out, uh, or probably not exactly when it came out, but I remember the poster when I'd walk through the video stores. I remember the, the, the VHS cassette cover, you know, Wh- that, which one that. was that? It's the image of Jamie Lee Curtis, I think like right at the door with it kind of creaked open and, and the, the, light and the fog kind of coming in. Um, but I remember that from, I mean, basically the, the early days of walking around the video store, looking, looking for movies, even before I knew really what was, what was going on. Cause it was, it was pretty early on. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's the good poster. That's the poster. I like, I'm, I'm used to that one as well. Yeah. What is uh, the other one? I don't even know if I know. The there's other just, I, I saw poster. a couple that were just like, you know, the, the, 
like the word the fog kind of in different formats. Uh, and, okay. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, yeah. That, that's starting to ring a bell. Right. There's like, I think the D, one of the DVD covers is just like them. Like you see the, you know, the, the pirates in the fog with the glowing eyes. Mm, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, cool. I'm, o- I'm old. So everything that I talk about is like original. It's not, <laughs> it's not reprint. Uh, David, what about you? Are you a newcomer to the fog or did you catch it when you, we were uh, growing up? No, I've never seen this. <laughs> never, <laughs> never seen it until recently. So yeah, this is uh this is one of those movies, John Carpenter. Um, what are, yeah. what, are, what kind of expectations did you have going into it? Oh, I thought it'd be scary. Um, no, I don't know. I I. Uh, I, I thought this might be, you know, a lot of fun, uh, to be honest with you. And, uh, I ended up actually really enjoying this way more than I thought. Um, and, and, and ranking and moving into Carpenter, like rankings and stuff like, Oh, I was like, this is, this is really up there to, to me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was confusing the, the plot of the fog with the mid 2000 aughts, uh, the mist because i'm like oh, yeah. aren't, aren't yep. they in a mall and there's monsters coming through but no <laughs> they're, at a, they're at a grocery store but yeah oh grocery store sure yeah so which i didn't see that movie but i just i knew what the plot of that is that just seems like identical like um in a sense but but the, it's not the, but the they're back- good companion pieces for sure yeah for sure they yeah they inform each other so uh, the, you know, this had a lot, a lot more story going on to it that I, 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 I appreciated a lot. Like it, there's not, a, you know, there's enough revealed to the audience to give you like, you kind of have a sense of like why things are happening and what's going on. I, I like that a lot. Like I just, I was really happy with that. Cause if it was just like mysterious bullshit, like, you know, Oh, I just, I don't know if I don't know how much I'd like it. But this is this has a, like a story like to it that uh, and a lore that I, I can get behind. So, yeah, big fan. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, they nice. definitely spend some time uh, kind of giving you the backstory and laying out like how and why this is happening. So it's it's uh, pretty clear. We'll talk about that too uh, shortly here. Yeah, I was. I'm also a relative newcomer to seeing this all the way through. I mean, I've known about it forever. Brent, like you, I remember seeing that poster of Jamie Lee, like blocking the door and everything uh, growing up. I didn't see but for some reason, and I fell in love with Carpenter in late high school, but for some reason, the fog just kind of eluded me that I was all about, you know, Halloween and escape from New York and the thing, Christine, uh, but this one I, I missed out on and I didn't see it until I think it was 2001 when I was, I was producing one of, this is back in college of Santa Fe, RIP. I was producing a, uh, I can't remember if it was a short film or a super, super low budget feature that, uh, do you remember Wes? Yes. Remember? Yeah. Yes. That, that he was direct writing and directing and uh, we were in this little town uh, called Vaughn, New Mexico. And I was uh, prepping, I was basically a producer and some kind of an AD, like I was doing the call sheet. So I wasn't really on set very much. Like they would go off and shoot and I'm working on the call sheet for the next day and just prepping everything. So I was like half a second AD and half a producer. So 
I was uh, in the hotel and everyone was gone. And this Vaughn, New Mexico is a town with like 10 people in it. All of which are listeners to this program. So I'm sure they're tuned in right now. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's this little, little, you know, small town in in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico. And uh, there was like one diner across the street from the one hotel in town. And there's like three people in it. And it was kind of creepy a little bit. But uh, when I was in the hotel, I had the TV on. And after Barney Miller was over, the fog came on. And it was just, it was like, oh, this is the one I haven't seen. And it was a super like low quality version. Must have been like a copy of a copy of a VHS or something. But um, so I was really like, oh, this is terrible. And it was, it was like pan and scan. So the image was cut off. Oh yeah. I, I was like, this is awful. Like it had all of Car- it working for it. Yeah. I was like, what is Carpenter thinking? Like, what was he doing when he made this? Well, yeah, considering he did the original in two, three, five, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So pan and scan's just going to be a total butcher job. Yeah. So I, uh, I was totally turned off, and and it was like I'm never going to watch Fog. Forget it. And then finally, uh, what two, three years ago, maybe, um, I was like, all right, I'm ready. Let me give it another shot. And I found it somewhere like super cheap. Picked it up, and I loved it. And I was like, wow, I'm glad I'm giving this another shot because it's like it's like a great sandwich. You know, I'm just like just I'm after all this time, there's one more really great Carpenter movie that I'm getting to enjoy for the first time, as opposed to watching it for like the thousandth time. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, a, you know, like the first I remember seeing it also as a kid, but only like kind of superficially like passing and and it wasn't until we watched it this for this podcast just just this week that i had gotten a chance to really sit back down and watch it again and it is it's a lot of fun it was super nostalgic for some reason like i feel like there's a lot of it that reminds me of other things you know you mentioned the miss david which i'm a huge fan of i think that movie like frank darabont's movie especially if you watch it in black and white like it's got oh uh, it's 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 pretty rad so you should definitely oh, not just dis- dismiss it um but also it reminded me of like creep show not only because of like hmm. the cast but just even like the the kind of ghost scenes like those cut scenes when they come in with the ghosts remind me of some of the tricks that they did in creep show and then you know just like certain things like that that kind of just all took me back and even parts of it i was like reminded me of you know what or i know what you did last summer just like the the kind of hook in the hand thing mm-hmm. and so there are elements of this movie which is before any of them that kind of for whatever reason touch on bits of those other movies that kind of all kind of brought me back into some kind of nostalgic uh uh you know uh vat of fun so yeah it was good i i enjoyed it this time around as well yeah, and we uh, we sure do love us some some old school carpenter, and this one just slides right in there. So much of his work, all the way up through all the way through the eighties, really, and then maybe one or two in the nineties, uh, just just so fantastic, and it's so awesome that he's gotten so much respect and status, kind of gained again in the last maybe ten years or so that everyone's really come back around on him and 
you know, other than the obvious ones like The Thing and, and Halloween, it's just, um, you know, some of the other movies like Assault and, and The Fog, people are really turned on by those movies again. So, yeah, uh, it's it's really awesome. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think that this might be his most like atmospheric and moody movie that he's he's made? Like it feels like super there's like it's just like a super moody kind of like film and i'm thinking i'm trying to think through like there's definitely elements in in all of his movies but this one just seemed to be like riddled throughout yeah i i agree that's definitely one of the heavier ones with the mood i mean i don't know all of all those early ones especially really he was so good at setting that tone yeah you know like escape from new york is just all in darkness and the 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 thing being just in the total opposite of blinding white but still this this feeling of of true like horror there yeah um and and like halloween having this sense kind of, I, I guess halloween for me is the closest to this one where this sense of impending doom that's coming just like yeah. like, like michael myers just sl- slowly rolling through town yeah well and the score seems related you know mm-hmm. like not they're 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 not the same but they're there's definitely um reminiscent of e- of each other yeah he's got seven notes in this score as opposed <laughs> to the five and yeah. that's right <laughs> well this is just another one of his movies where it's like there's a impen- like a claustrophobia like right like just like something's closing in on you and you have an in- it's 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 coming for you and there's not much you can do to stop it yeah. and uh right a force of nature's coming um but I, I i really do enjoy the fact that it's like there's something that having a lore and a backstory to it to 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 really just like you know kind of explain it I, I, not that you need it but i just think that really i think it really helps it helps the film like yeah so so much because it's you know how much can you really say about like michael myers like what's his like what's his real motivation and all of that or just you know the thing is just it's just a, a random force of nature an alien creature or whatever like it's just all this, but I was like, well, no, this is like a, re- this is like a revenge story. You can almost, mm-hmm. re- you can, you can yeah. get behind the pirates or whatever. Yeah, the, the sailors. Yeah. yeah. The sailor. I'm like, yeah, I kind of like dig they're, it. Like they're completely the victims. Yeah. I mean, they're, as they're our, justified. As our... <laughs> they're justified in their, in their hunt. Yeah. So it's not like they're, they're evil. It was just like, sort of like just trying to survive them. Uh, You know, I, I like, I, I, I kind of dug it. It's 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 less about like uh, it's a more nuanced to just to give you that lore to to the whole thing, you know. And their pay- people in the present are paying for the sins of of what happened a hundred years ago. Right. Also on my birthday, in fact, it's funny. That's oh, a, hey, you know, all right. Secrets revealed here Tony, on Reconciliation. Tony Danza, Iggy Pop, myself, April twenty first. All, all oh, the best. You share the with best. the Danza. Me and Danza. Oh. Yeah. The day after Hitler. So anyway, uh, uh, okay. You win some, you lose some. Well, it's the day after. I don't. It's the day after. after. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a new day. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, let let's talk about uh, let's talk about John Carpenter and where we stand in 1980. So Halloween has come out, and obviously he's just kind of basking in that success that he really didn't see coming with that movie was such, you know, the, the, 
that movie was such a, I don't know, like surprise for everybody that no one expected it to be the gigantic hit that it was and this sort of industry changing movie. I mean, we talked about it a number of times on our Friday the 13th podcast, all of which you can hear in the archives at www.reconcinemation.com, where we talk about... Halloween's success spinning off the the whole slasher subgenre of, of horror films right um, and, and really just launching so many careers and so many good and bad movies after it uh, but Carpenter himself was surprised by the whole thing and and you know he's not he's not the kind of filmmaker who's in it like strictly to just make blockbusters and make money he was very passionate about the kinds of stories he wanted to tell and as you can see, what choices he made through his career, he stuck with that. That, you know, you could do, you could go and do this Hollywood movie and just for the paycheck and make a ton of money, or you make Christine, or you make Big Trouble in Little China, and, or they live. Uh, so he's kind of carved out his own, his own little corner of Hollywood that's just for him. So. Well, and this is, is this his follow-up from Halloween? Yeah. Right. And yep. it's, he's got like a two picture deal, right? And this is the first of the two. Yes. So it's yeah. He's, this he, and then escape. Yes. He signs a two picture deal with Avco embassy. Uh, the right, like you said, the second of which would be escape from New York. And at the same time, he's also kind of developing Halloween too. And there's a whole controversy uh, with uh, Mustafa Akkad and Dino De Laurentiis and, and what Carpenter was allowed to do and some deal making uh, that would free him up a little bit. But um, yeah, so this is, you know, he decides like, what if we made like a, a just straight out ghost story, you know, go, go back to the well, like what's the traditional scary story? Well, ghost stories, that's, that's kind of the old tradition. Um, and he and his uh, partner at the time, uh, Deborah Hill were on a a vacation. It was either a vacation or they were often uh, often Europe promoting either Halloween or Assault on Pre- uh, Precinct Thirteen, and they were visiting Stonehenge. And while they were there, they just saw this this fog just rolling in, and he just had this idea of like, what if there was something in the fog? Like, yeah. how scary would that be? There's got to be more to it, right? Like the you know Stonehenge, obviously, with its own sort of set of uh, uh, mysticism and mystique, right? Um, sure. Yeah. But I mean, that was just co- kind of the genesis of the basic idea of it. Um, yeah. And I think would... there were, I think there were some like literary, like some literary things as well that kind of influenced some of that as at the same time, I think, okay. if, if I remember correctly, but I don't recall what the names of the stories are, but I think, I think there were a few stories that he had read or articles that he had read and then, and then seeing the fog kind of helped put it all, tie it all together. Well, yeah, and he also kind of, as he gets this idea, he wants to infuse sort of an Edgar Allan Poe feel and an H.P. Lovecraft kind of energy into the story as well, which I feel like he did yeah. uh, pretty pretty well. But um, Stonehenge would come back into play uh, all the way down the road with Halloween 3, which we also discussed. Was that last year? That was last year, I think, back in season uh, season 3. So wasn't long enough. And Stonehenge. <laughs> oh, that's right. They had the big stone and they're yeah. making the masks. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Everything was based off Stonehenge, the energy from Stonehenge. So that's right. That's right. Uh, 
yeah so so he sets off and and writes this story and it all comes together pretty quickly uh so it's uh how do you feel about the story itself do you guys feel like you know we talked about the lore and how cool it was to set a whole backstory and really explain it quite thoroughly of what was happening here did you guys feel like that was clear or was there any confusion about why this is happening did it make sense for you yeah no totally makes sense it's got it's got enough to to you know to fill in all the gaps of like why this can happen and you know there's nothing they the these people can do about it other than try to survive you know like i think that was great like there's there's inevitability about it. Like the, the, there's something I like more about this that explains sort of the forces of nature that he otherwise pulls in like the thing, or even, I mean, Michael Myers is sort of just a force of nature. Like there's no negotiating with it, but like, this is like, there's a reason these things happen. People, people made this happen. Um, yeah. And they, they wouldn't have known that like a hundred years later, but I just, I like, I like that. Uh, it's like it's because this is my problem with like Stephen King and all of that. It's just like, well, evil just happens and people die and there's nothing you can do. And, you know, and, and like I get that. And, and as a in, a in a real world kind of situation that happens all the time. Right. People just die, you know, disease, accident, car accidents, whatever. Things happen. People die. It sucks. I don't like relating to the reality to actual reality. And then in, in this, in the scope of like, you know, supernatural, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want supernatural to be the supernatural to be inevitability, but if, but if something causes that, if something is going to, you know, it's a revenge, it's a revenge story, a bunch of, for a bunch of sailors, like tell the story from their point of view, they gotta, yeah. they gotta get their, right. their pound of flesh, you know, right. I, I and, love that. You know, the fact that father Malone finds his grandfather's journal yeah. You know, that kind of lays it all out there in a nice, easily digestible, convenient way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is yeah. is great, right? Like it 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 allows you the opportunity to use that throughout whenever there's a question, you can be like, oh, let me just read the next chapter here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it it works, you know, like it totally like to your point, like it I bought like I'm buying it, I'm into it. It yeah. doesn't throw me, you know. I think that it's uh it for 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 what purpose it's serving like it works great yeah yeah it's i felt the same way it was a very clear thank god that he had written everything down in that journal yeah <laughs> step by step exactly what happened so detailed uh, yeah but but it, but is, it works and it, it totally makes sense yeah it is it's like a it is a ghost story right like it's always about you know a spirit or or you know needing a needing to continue on for x y and z reasons and you know enough time passes well it's gonna be a bunch of innocent victims that are that are just a part of it i i I, i'm not a big fan of like ghost stories in a sense but actually i kind of watching this movie i was like well just to have an actual like through line and a you know an arc in a sense of like what happened like oh i kind of dig it it's really only six victims right yeah and only six right so yeah i mean that's the thing about john carpenter movies that i try to explain to to non-horror fans um that john carpenter's movies are go beyond just a straight horror movie like there's always a lot more going on there's a much there's there's a a much greater richness and a a deeper storyline 
to to what's happening there. It's not just a straight, you know, boring kind of slasher movie or you know, alien movie or whatever. That that there's so much style to it and and thought put mm-hmm. into it uh, that it's. I would recommend all of them really in yeah. a lot of ways, uh, you know, through, 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 through the eighties and into the early nineties. But there's um, a, there's a bit more gore in this one than there is in, in Halloween. I mean, Halloween's like kind of implied gore, right. But like this one it is still too, doesn't, though. it still doesn't feel like it's that gory. I mean, no, not like, at all. I mean, there's like imagery, like, okay. One of the, one of the initial sailors, who who was on the boat that that you know met with the fog you know like he pops out and his eyes have been gouged out or whatever but it's quick and then there's like kind of some scenes where there's what like worms crawling on on a yeah. on a dead seaman's you know like face, face or whatever yeah. yeah but yeah like i don't really think that i think you're right i, I think it is mostly implied here as well but it, it, you know, it sells it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that was, that was part of the thing with this movie is that, that it, there isn't a lot of gore. It's it, like you said, it is mostly implied. There's a touch more Carpenter doesn't really get gory until the thing. And that is definitely for a reason in that movie. I mean, you, you kind of have to have it in that story. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like assault on 13 was pretty gory. Uh, I think there's blood just because there's people getting shot all the time. But yeah, it's I mean not... that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like like horror movie gore. It's but it's like pretty brutal, right? But you know, I, I I I get your point completely. Yeah, but thematically, you know, Halloween was about pure evil, whereas the fog is about revenge and. Um, you know, and he based this off. I guess, I guess something similar happened in off the off the uh, California coast near Goleta, that a um, very similar that a pirate ship that was you know everyone was infected with uh, leprosy was trying to you know dock in the coast near this coastal town, and they were they were killed. They weren't let you know, and then they weren't let on land, and they were killed and their gold was stolen and used to create this town, which is what happens here in Antonio Bay. Um, as we hear, n- nobody in the town today, a hundred years later, knows about this. This is all like died with the, the people who were there at the time, but it's revealed through Father Malone and the great Hal Holbrook, uh, you know, telling us the story as he reads the journal. So, um, yeah, great backstory um, makes sense all falling in line with the hundredth, uh, you know, and birthday celebration. And, um, let's, let's talk about some of the, this cast because this is like key carpenter, the carpenter players, the John Carpenter yeah. <laughs> quartet or whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, obviously there's, there's a ton of them, right? So there's Adrian Barbeau and, and, uh, you know, who I think they were married at the time. Yeah. Carpenter was, was with Deborah Hill. And then at some point, um, not during this. some, someone to watch over me, uh, I think made some kind of shift over to Adrian Barbeau. They've since gotten married. And I just want to say 
<clears throat> it must have been very, very tough for Deborah Hill, who continued to work with yeah. with Carpenter, but both of them and and I think just from from some of what I was reading that it it seemed like she just kind of gutted it out and and you know played through it. But man, that had to be tough to kind of watch that a lot of yep. the time. And in seeing the promotion, Adrian Barbeau is just like like talking about how it was hard for them to work together because they're newlyweds and you know there's just so much attraction between the two of them at the time like oh my god deborah had to sit through that poor her. yeah she's like <laughs> sitting right off camera yeah like listening to this yeah that, that is torture but uh adrian barbeau's i think fantastic in this movie this is her kind of transition out of tv um which she was a you know a significant 70s uh, tv star out yeah. into features and and great character also for someone who barely has any scenes with another actor right <laughs> i mean this is just... her first this is her first movie right this is yeah. her first feature length film yeah, yeah yeah but we're kind of she's kind of guiding us through the movie as the um you know radio dj in the lighthouse who's able to see what's going on and is sort of the voice of communication and sort of represents the viewer a little bit yeah yeah so fantastic and of course oh, yeah. of course you get jamie lee curtis back who's you know skyrocketing to stardom but still at this point doing you know i guess you know they did call her the scream queen for a long long time that, that was that was all because of 1980 i mean granted like halloween had happened but like you pile that on with the fog and then prom night and then terror train all yep. in 1980 and Gee, halloween like, too yeah, aside from the Halloween franchise, the and those are like it's the Halloween franchise, and those three movies are the horror movies that she's that she's been in. And right, now wow. at this point, the Halloween franchise, she's been in like what seven of them? Seven of the seven of or, oh, today, yeah, something six, like that. Six of the movies. So, uh, but yeah, absolutely. After 1980, if if she wasn't already the scream queen from Halloween, like she definitely solidified her position. In as as the lead queen of the Scream Queens, yeah. But it's interesting that she. I would say she's because of Halloween. I don't know. Maybe you would expect her to be more the star. She's on the poster, but she's really not the main character. Yeah, she's like the fifth fifth character <laughs> yeah. in the movie. I mean, it is really an ensemble, uh, you know, group sure. of actors here. Oh yeah, I mean, this cast is made up of like just a ton of great character actors, like yeah. across the board. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, this is like yeah, as an ensemble movie, it's like, you know, I guess yeah, I guess you have to pick the young the youngest, hottest, you know, in terms of uh popularity or whatever. You know, she's coming into her own with her career like we'll put Jamie Lee Curtis on the thing. It's 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 one woman versus a a, a creature, you know, like that well, how do you tell the story that quickly? But if you put a bunch of bunch of randos in the movie, you know, this ensemble, like, eh, you know, you need I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like gimmicky marketing, you know, to just like use her as the representation of the movie on that poster. But oh you know, right, she's like she's, but you know, she's she's just sort of a she's just she's just going through it with the rest of them, you know. They're, no one's like the superhero of it, you know. That everyone does something that like make to help them survive, but right, you know, I, I, I that's what I love about this. There's not even like a clear like lead. To the yeah. movie there's not a clear like oh well thank god they're there like you know all any all of this could have happened 
if plus or minus any number of characters in the movie i i just yeah. think it's again that ghost story element like i just i'm down with this like i i was i was really happy with this one <laughs> yeah and it plays out in the in the climax of the movie like all of them are together like even though adrian barbeau's character is off somewhere else like they're all battling together at the at the end you know like it's it's the whole ensemble is kind of thrown in at the last second together you know to to kind of overcome the 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 ghosts how cool is it how cool is it that jamie lee curtis gets to act with her mom in this i know and it's so cool it's the first time they appeared on screen together, although they don't really interact like they're in shots together, yeah. but they're not mother and daughter. Like that was a thing that, you know, they didn't want to sure. be mother and daughter here that I think Jamie Lee knew like this wasn't the project to do that move on that, right. you know, so probably something more dramatic down the road was what she was hoping for. And I'm sure, I think that they did. I can't remember what movie offhand, but yeah, they're not even on screen together except for the last like, 20 minutes of the movie right which is just or not even 20 minutes that's probably being generous it's yeah. probably 10 minutes yeah well i i is it halloween is it h2o where they where she plays uh jamie lee curtis's mom or something like that i feel like janet lee's got a small appearance in in the early part of h2o but maybe i'm wrong but uh i'm sure one of our listeners will will uh write in and correct me if that's true but well, we'll uh, get to it at some point. We will. Yeah. A few years down the road, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we get Tom Atkins, Tom, the man Atkins yeah. returns to reconsider me. Sands the mustache, which I yeah. don't like. And yeah, and not the it. white hair. He's got like brown hair and no mustache. It's still Tom Atkins. He still kills it, but it wasn't like quintessential, you know, it wasn't quintessential Tom. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but he's still great. Yeah. And apparently that was a role that was originally offered to Kurt Russell. No way. Really? Yeah. So it would have been interesting. I, I really wonder seeing Kurt Russell and Jamie Lee Curtis kind of coupled up there together would have been interesting. I don't think they ever uh, kind of crossed paths. Both children of Carpenter uh, yeah. never worked together. I think that that's, I'm glad it's not, I mean, hey, listen, the more Kurt, the better, (laughs) but I'm glad it's not. I think it changes the dynamic of this movie completely if you have Kurt Russell in here, right? Like, I agree, yeah. He's a, I mean, because he is a, I mean, he's a big star already. Like, he's yeah, a, he's a he's, he's a, a well known. He's the computer work tennis shoes. Like, he's been around for a minute, you know. Yeah. And even though he went off for a little bit, and it wasn't until a little bit later that he like he really started to skyrocket. But I think I don't know. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad it's Tom. I'm glad it's Tom. Yeah. Honestly, and and I think you know Kurt has a different kind of screen presence than Tom Atkins does you know Tom is mm-hmm. much more of a character actor and not necessarily your your you know traditional leading man which Kurt Russell would be so absolutely um, when you have an ensemble i think for this Tom Atkins was the better fit although if if Atkins and Kurt had to fight it out um i think that would be a nuclear explosion and the world wouldn't be able to continue yeah, it's a it's a what is it unstoppable force and immovable object. The, the irresistible force meeting the immovable object for sure. Yeah, 
The irresistible force? Yeah. Yeah, the irresistible. That's correct. Right? He's irresistible. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting Gorilla Monsoon. So oh, okay. oh, got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, we haven't even talked. So I, I, I know we're talking cast, but we, and this isn't a skip over, but we got to mention uh, John Houseman, who's basically starts the movie off with his kind of t- scary tale of, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm in. Like yeah. I'd listen to that guy tell a ghost story yeah. around a fire. Hell yeah. Any day of the week. That was awesome. No matter what. I'd be like, yeah, okay, let's go. Yeah. We can stay up past midnight. And it doesn't get any more traditional than that. Telling a ghost story around a campfire. It's such yeah. a basic premise, you know, uh, but completely works. He's such a captivating actor and such a great voice. And I think he did this all like they did it on stage. I think in like one day. So, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, great, great addition to the movie for sure. Big fan. Uh, I, th- I thought so at that, in that scene, at the opening scene, when, when he's telling the story, you know, we meet Adrian Barbeau's kid for the first time, right. uh, Andy or whatever. When I first saw him, I couldn't stop thinking that it was the kid from the explorers, Jason. Oh yeah, uh, I think his name's Jason Faison. He's the third kid in the Explorers, the one that nobody ever really talks about. <laughs> Not Ethan Hawke or River Phoenix, but yeah. the other guy. For the first like thirty minutes of the movie, I was like, "Dude, is that the kid?" And then I looked it up. No, it's not the kid. But <laughs> totally thought it was. Sorry, <laughs> side tangent. Uh, who else we got in this movie? We've got a lot of the uh, you know smaller character actors. We've got Charles Cyphers, uh, who's in so many of of uh, Carpenter's films. We've got uh, Nancy Loomis, who appeared in Assault on Precinct 13 and Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, actually, um, and a few others. But uh, uh, George Buckflower, who who shows up in most of the 80s Carpenter's, Carpenter movies as one of the, the three uh, sailors that get uh, attacked mm-hmm. early in the movie. Um, well, are you catching the names of the characters that these guys are playing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Tom Atkins plays Nick Castle. So for those who don't know, Nick Castle is the guy who played Michael Myers in The Mask, right? And then right. and then George, uh, George Flower plays Tommy Wallace, who Tommy Lee Wallace is, oh. is a big uh, uh, partner of, of Carpenter's who ultimately ended up directing Halloween three, which we've talked about and, and it, and, and things like that. So there's, that's like littered in here. There's so much inside baseball happening here. Uh, Yeah. Dan O'Bannon is who Charles Cyphers plays. He's like the weatherman that that, um, Adrian Barbeau's character, Stevie, uh, you know, kind of flirts with at, at back at the station. So um, Dan O'Bannon was, you know, wrote alien. He, but he wrote, co-starred uh in dark star with with john carpenter so they have a connection and uh and there's i think there's a few others too but yeah yes, there are a lot of a lot of inside uh inside baseball here well have we mentioned hal holbrook he's in this he's also no. father malone he's excellent how awesome is how like every he's one of those actors kind of like we talked about with gene hackman just always good no matter what the movie is, that dude is just an excellent actor uh, mm. or was. He just recently passed away, but yeah, um, yeah. was so great in so many of these movies. Yeah. And for those keeping track, that means that there are three people, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins and Hal Holbrook, who were in Creepshow. Yeah. There's there's 
very much a creep show vibe happening here. Like Definitely. those those two movies feel very connected. And I think intentionally that that he's also kind of uh, trying to capture that feel of those old pulp, you know, tales from the crypt comic yep. books. Yep. Totally. Um, Darwin Jostens in the film, who is the, you know, one of the lead actors in Assault on Precinct 13, who I don't really remember seeing much after this movie, but it was it was really cool to see his face kind of pop up as the coroner. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just uh, and of course, Janet Lee, who is the original Scream Queen. That's uh, right. Star of Psycho. And, and of course, Jamie Lee's mother, um, you know, doesn't do a heck of a lot in the movie, but is definitely a presence and, you know, part of the group that's all kind of corralled inside the church defending themselves. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like either Janet Lee or her assistant, which I think is the Sandy character, right? Like one of those two characters is probably not necessary for this movie. Right. Yeah. 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 Like they're like, they're a little redundant. I don't understand exactly what purpose both of them need to serve, but yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, I, if I bet, I kind of feel as if like, Sandy was probably the original character that was written into the script. And then Janet, like signed on to be in the movie to, you know, whatever, do something with Jamie. And yeah, they're like, yeah. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, we'll just, we'll, we'll do this. She'll, yeah. She'll just be there. Yeah. I, that's total make-believe. I did not read that or find that anywhere, but it, it kind of seems like a kind of a throw on character. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and probably I could see that being where he just didn't want to cut the part once, once Nancy, uh, Loomis, who I think at the time may have been married to Tommy Lee Wallace. So very much a part of that, that Carpenter family, yeah. um, you know, didn't want to cut the part out. So, so she remains and survives even. So, yeah, well, it's like those, like, you know, like those long stories, those TV movie miniseries and stuff like that. Like, Oh, an asteroid's going to hit earth or there's an earthquake or, or even the stand kind of even just like as a like the tv movie of the stand and shit it's like it's all these like disjointed characters who are all living at the same time while that stuff is going on and then it all just kind of comes together like right that, that eventually cross eventually they eventually come together so you have to like you invest separately in all these characters until they and they they combine i mean this is a like you know this all of this really makes a lot of sense in terms of like the size of the town and all of that. But it just reminded me of like, you know, how do you tell, like, how do you feature all these characters and keep them separate, but have them all dealing with the same thing. And like, I think it's expertly done here with just like bring them all together eventually. And uh, even though, yeah, Adrian Barbo still never leaves the lighthouse, but like, she is like, like the hero of it because she's like advising everybody like what to do and how to survive and all that um yeah and i get i get the purpose she serves by never leaving the lighthouse but i will say the one thing that kind of bumped me a little bit is is when she's on the radio after she's said andy run you need to run and then and then she we cut back to to Tom Atkins, he's like saving her son and all that stuff. And then we go back to Adrian and she's like spilling her heart out to the, into the microphone about why she couldn't leave. And it's like, I don't know. I think you could have left to go save your kid, but I get it. It's okay. That's yeah. the, like the one thing that kind of bumped me a little. I was like, I don't know if this scene 
we don't need this. This yeah. seems kind of bullshit, but. Yeah, I, I hear you there. It feels like she does kind of like throw in the towel on her kid like yeah. pretty quickly well, here. But... She'd never, she would never get to him in time, right? Yeah. And so she's, she's being using, logical. She's being logical. It's like, well, I'm going to use the power of the radio. Hopefully someone's hearing him. I'm going to scream yep. the address a hundred times. Pray that that works out. And then, you know, she's begging for forgiveness, right? Like it's, it's, she's, for, she's begging for forgiveness, essentially. Like, well, she, at that time, she has no idea if her son has been saved or not, right? Yeah, like, right. She has no idea. Like, so she has to like yeah. b- believe that he might, he can, he could have made it. But then also, like, she's just like, she has to say it out loud of like, well, you know, if in case you died, like this is why I didn't couldn't I could because I had to save all these other people. But like, why is too. she doing that on the radio? Because there's no other way that the phone lines are down. There's yeah, no, no, no. She can do. But why is she spilling her guts, apologizing to her son who she thinks might be dead at this point on the radio? Like I just that's the part where I'm like, I don't understand why that needs to all happen. I, I think know. it's I think it's just an emotional reaction. You know, what else can she do? She's a just person a person has to get it out, yeah. You know? Yeah. I kind of, I kind of dig it. Like she was just, it's this confession, this, this last thing, like, all right, I can appreciate that. And if there was, and I'm like, and if that was a guy character, it had been like, totally like I had to do it for, I had to save the town. I had, you know, like, you know, it was Kurt Russell. It's Kurt Russell. And it's like, oh shit. Like, well, of course he's the hero of the piece. Cause he had to him and his hair. You know, he had to, his hair would have anyway. fought off the his hair. He would have sent his hair to save his child, and <laughs> well, he like, would have just yeah. And then, like, I think I think a male character probably would have been just a little more brief about like why well, I had to do. It. I had to be the hero, you know. I got to do it. So hopefully, like, she's a mother. I yeah, I just the mother shit. I love it. I, I just think great. the exchange is personal, right? Like for yeah. me to like do it on radio like cheapens it and that's that's the Hmm. that's the point like i get why she's the hero and she has to stay in and and guide the town to safety yeah because she's got the best vantage point in the lighthouse but but like the the begging for forgiveness on the radio part to me seems like i don't know i like whatever it's like not worth getting that bumped up on but it's just one of those things where it's like "Ah, i don't know yeah, I'd have done that a little different. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work for you. I kind of like the idea of this like naked honesty though for it, for her, you know, I, I like the idea of like, it, you know, a character just sort of admitting that like, you know, her sin is like, she didn't go after her son and like, yeah. she, he could have died and you know, she's admitting it all. And there's nothing left on the, on the table for her. Like, right. Like it's all out there now. Like she, right. by the end of the movie, you don't have any question of like why she did anything or why she didn't do something like she, you know, I, I think that's great because otherwise you don't serve, you don't serve the character enough. Like you, if she didn't do that confession or whatever, it's just sort of like, well, why did she do that? Like what, you know, what she, I think it would cheap, it would cheapen her a little bit. So like this vulnerability to her. So, so, so for me, well, it doesn't work for you. I think for me, that makes it like even more like I get it. Like, yeah, instead of like this understood idea, because if it was a male character, the male character would never would have explained himself, never would have explained himself. He would just be like, I had to do-. he would just say, I have to do this. And that would be it like that. That's that's how it would have been done. Mm-hmm. So the mom character, you know, at least explains herself, at least is uh, and yeah. it, 
and it's very a- and very anti or not anti but very like not so motherly right like yeah you know, just abandoning her child in a sense like yeah and i think extreme yeah and i think for me the expression is it's not the expression that bumps me it's the fact that she's expressing it on the radio you know like i just don't see why that part needs to be broadcast it, it it's not helping at that point it's not it's not about like it's a personal kind of like mm-hmm. recognition of what you had to do to to save the town but doing it on the radio doesn't actually help save the town you know what i mean so it's just i don't know it's just kind of an interesting choice but sure it's all good yeah um in a bit of so sort of what if casting here like we were talking about earlier what if kurt had been cast instead of tom atkins what if uh donald pleasance was the uh was father malone instead of instead of hal holbrook would that have worked you think or is that would that be too kind of on the nose with halloween i love Hal holbrook man yeah he's so good yeah, I think that was the better choice uh, for this role. I would have been yeah. like, it, it just would have felt like, you know, like Loomis again. So a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I get like he's using a lot of his same, you know, troop of, of actors, but it's yeah. like, I think you have to diversify a little bit because then it does start it, too many things start to feel familiar. Yep. And it, yep. it makes it difficult to separate. So, yeah. Uh, but apparently, they did offer it to Christopher Lee. Oh, which really? that would have been cool. No, Christopher Lee is. is he would have had the he would have had the gravitas to sure. of to course. deliver to to deliver that performance. I I still think Hal is the best choice though because Hal like you just kind of automatically like love Hal Holbrook. Like yeah, he I'm just not... looks like a good guy, you know? Yeah. I'm not hating on Hal at all, dude. Like, yeah. I, he's great. Cause you want to, you're behind father Malone and, and you know, even though, yeah, he looks like possibly an alcoholic or some kind of alcohol dependency, but um, right. you know, and, and probably some kind of looks like he may have some emotional issues too, but, but he's revealing this story and you, you want to see him, get through it i mean he's the one who ends up really fighting the spirits off at least temporarily Mm -hmm. uh but yeah would have been would have been a very different take if it had been christopher lee yeah for sure um what do you guys think about one thing that bumped me was jamie lee curtis and tom atkins just hopping right into bed immediately but how could that's, you not with that's with Tom, Tom Atkins style. <laughs> yeah. That's Tom Atkins style is the same shit in Halloween three. Yeah, it really it is. doesn't matter. He's he's just a, he's got that animal magnetism, apparently. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're going to bed. Let's go to bed and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the potential of Kurt Russell playing that character like Kurt is more the leading man. Stereo, like the stereotypical leading man than Tom Atkins. Uh, I think when you throw Tom Atkins in that situation, I found it weird here. I found it weird in Halloween three. I don't buy it for a second, but good on you and <laughs> carry on like whatever. Like, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a little, it's a little silly and jarring. And I feel like both scenes in both movies are set up the same. It's always like after, they're kind of laying like 
you know, horizontally in the bed at 90 degree angles so that their heads are together and they're chatting and like one of them smoking a cigarette. And it's just like, it's the same after scene in both, in both movies. And I'm like, all right, this is the, this is like, I guess, is this Tom Atkins calling card? Is this, (laughs) I guess, I don't know. It's, It's like, he has, he has to do nothing to get laid in these movies. Like it just, it comes to him. (laughs) <laughs> so easily it's uh it's crazy but you know right when like jamie lee curtis is a hitchhiker with kind of uh, sounds like kind of a shady backstory and then we find out she was basically like a rich kid who wanted to just live her own life and kind of a free spirit right like her first question to him is like are you weird are you <laughs> weird and he's like yeah i'm weird and she's like great and i'm like uh, okay <laughs> cool you gotta love you gotta love life rolling out of the 70s, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like, you know, it's like matter of fact, you don't even have to do the build-up of like why would they get in bed together? It's like, well, no, they're just they're gonna get in bed together. Like it's, yeah. easy. it's the 70s, yeah. Yeah, it's like whatever. So, you know, it's it's a it's an afterthought. Like you gotta you gotta give it you gotta appreciate the fact that it's just like, well, yeah, they end up in bed together and who cares? That's not even part of this. Now they can just get to know each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. they can talk about her art or whatever. Like, yeah. which is not brought up again. It's just like no, and it's again yeah. another kind of totally unnecessary like yeah scene. Yeah. Um, but I guess that bumped me as well. You're right, yeah. John. <laughs> I guess uh, I was more I, prepared for it having seen Halloween three. I am yeah, you bumped. knew it was coming. I can't be bumped. I don't know. There's no, what has bumped me. Nothing. David Munchak cannot be bumped. This is going to nope. be a. This is going to be a 9.5 at the think of the end. I don't know. Oh my out. shit. This, some, that's like your highest rated movie ever. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gone beyond above an eight. So, no, I don't know. Somehow don't know. the fog oh. is David Munjak's highest rated movie. I love it. We found it. In the Munchapedia. We'll see. And Munchak's, yeah, we're not there yet. Let's say, let's, come on. Let's, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Munchak's Munchapedia. <laughs> Munchapedia? <laughs> yeah. That's well, I think we should. Re- I think we should retire that phrase immediately. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Wikipedia, but anyway, uh, I, okay. I stepping away from the cast right now. I love the tone of this movie that we were talking about earlier. And so much of that is Dean Cundy's cinematography. Like we were talking about, they shot it in, in anamorphic and, and yeah. uh, so it didn't look like a low budget horror movie. It has a bigger feel to it. Um, you know, his lighting, especially with the, the, the fog, you know, the visual effect, you know, special effects that they were doing, I think worked great. It really made the the, the fog feel like a character. Um, and then using that to guide the story of taking all these separate characters and how they kind of all merge together, or most of them at least merge onto the, uh, onto the church as sort of the Alamo, uh, I think was, was so well done mixed with Carpenter's score um, just really great horror tone and feeling. Um, yeah. And uh, with the visuals, it's it's fantastic. Well, I've never seen a movie, and this is going to sound dumb, but I've never seen a movie where like two, three, five was a bad idea. Right. You know, like I've, it's like anytime a movie's done in two, three, five, I feel like that's like the right ratio for for a movie. Anytime you do yeah. it, like that should be the one that you use. And is that so, anamorphic? Is that is that what anamorphic is? Yeah, two, three, five, yeah, to one. So, what does that mean? What what what's anamorphic versus uh, you know, another 
ratio? What's what's the difference? It's it's a wider lens, really, that just gives it a uh, it it's sort of a de- it creates a depth and a bigger scope and feeling than your regular you know your standard um, sixteen one. Yeah, yeah, that feels much more flat and straightforward. You know this. Gotcha really creates a depth. And when you have a, a cinematographer like Dean Cundy, who knows how to shoot that way, that's why one, he, that's why he's one of the best cinematographers of all time. I mean, he shot Jurassic park and uh, you know, so many big movies, but starting with Carpenter, um, hmm. right. you know, there's so many visual tricks and, and little, little maneuvers that they do. That is what helps. I think was a really big tool that Carpenter had in his early movies. Uh, all the way through, I think they worked together basically through Big Trouble and then had a falling out on that film and then never worked together after that. Well, and in, and in film, when you're using those kind of aspect ratios, what you're able to do is create like emotion through through composition, right? And so, you know, a big, like in the 90s, they started chopping everything up and doing pan and scan so that they would fit onto televisions uh, sets better and it became you know like you were losing big chunks of the composition and so that's why they started to go when dvds came out they started releasing things in letterbox again so that it was back at the original aspect ratio the filmmakers uh had had done the map you know so that you could get that that emotion back gotcha hmm. i remember when i was at suncoast that we had the whole display of what is what is widescreen versus pan and scan and why widescreen is better that I would have to explain to these people, but like, I don't want to see those black bars at the top and bottom, like, but you're missing half the movie. Like, look at this picture from the abyss. Okay. Here's where like the, the, right. that the shapes coming out of the water and they're all face to face with it. Right. Like here's what's getting cut off. And here's what you're seeing when you don't have those black bars. But when you do, you see this, the whole thing that was actually what they intended when they shot it. So this is, this is very much the same kind of way, but all right. So flash forward a little bit after, you know, the movie's been shot. Uh, Carpenter's putting it together in the editing room. They start, they start screening it and they realize pretty quickly, like this movie is not working. Like there's oh, no. some, something off about it. It's not, you know, audiences were like a test screenings were, you know, really down on it. It didn't feel right to Carpenter. So uh, they ended up going back and reshooting or adding in about a third of the, of the movie gets. What? Uh, yeah. 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 That's right. So they added in a lot. So they added in uh, John Hausman's whole prologue, that opening scene to the movie that wasn't originally there. Uh, a lot of the quick scares and jumps that happen and close-ups was not in the movie. They added all those in. They added the scene with Jamie Lee Curtis in the morgue where the body comes to life, which is also kind of a little prequel to the thing, mm. the way that scene plays out. So, yeah. um, you know, they added that. They added the lighthouse fight with Adrian Barbeau where, where she climbs up to the top and fights the two uh I keep calling them pirates, but I guess that's what they were, but sailors off. And uh, so, you know, it really kind of fills in all these gaps that were happening in the movie and really gives it that puts it right, right back into that real traditional, like horror movie. You need those scares. 
So this, this movie yeah. was 65 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, well, we should add some more shit. Yeah, it was. Right. It was. It was short, and and they were just. I, I I don't. I wonder what that original script was without those moments too. I mean, there must have been stuff they just left off the cutting room. They left on the floor, yeah. right? I don't, like it, I, I don't know. I also I don't know if it, uh, if you read this, if either of you read this as well when you were reading reading up on the on this project, but. The, the original budget was like something like a million dollars, right? Like they spent a million. Then they redid it and added a third. And then the budget ended up only being 1.1. Yeah. So I'm not a mathematician, but, oh. <laughs> but, but something there doesn't add up, right? <laughs> like if you've got a million dollar budget and you've got to redo a third of it, like, was it was it 1.1 sure well i mean there's a lot of especially a guy like carpenter knows how to do things crafty and the low budget way uh-huh. so i'm sure needing to also do it quickly like you know the, the close-up of the that um you know that pirate with the with the worms coming out of his face yeah. like you could do that in a garage. Like I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure that they well, did. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say, like her climbing on top of the lighthouse, it's like you definitely shot that in a in a in someone's garage in their own garage, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just, just put a they just put like a, a quick setup and then pump fog into the room. Right. Yeah. Like, it's all in go. black. There's nothing, there's yeah. no perspective. Yeah, so that's I mean, fair. Just, and yeah. like we said, the opening with John Hausman, that was shot in one day. So yeah. All right, all right, fair enough. You know, that's minutes of the movie right there. Just one day. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's a guy who could figure out how to get that done. Carpenter. But um, so, yeah, the uh, then they, the movie comes out and, you know, is it a big hit? What's the what's the follow up to Halloween going to be for John? Well, it is a big hit. It's not that well uh, critically acclaimed, but um it does financially do do pretty well. So especially with such a low budget of, of 1.1. So uh, I guess it, I guess we're, we're going right towards it. Let's, let's do some box office glory. Hmm. Let's. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the film comes out February 1st, 1980 against American Gigolo. Now, this is still in that time period. There's not a tremendous amount of box office data, uh, but Gigolo was number one at the box office. Uh, the Fog ends up with 21.4 million worldwide. What? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, huge hit, huge profit. Uh, they did spend, uh, I think, about $2 million. They spent like three times the budget on... Uh, on, on all the print marketing and ads and yeah. marketing so yeah they, they yeah. would put up these stands in the in theaters that played it that would emit all this fog right nice. like the lobby so that's pretty cool um so it ends up yeah with 21 million dollars it's number 31 of 1980 right ahead of fame so fame was a big movie remember that fame was huge yeah, yeah. well that's the fog musical. does better well good for the fog <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's a hit and it's going to lead to the second part of his deal with Avco embassy and escape from New York, which we covered way, way back in episode one of reconciliation. So 
if you're on our website at www.reconsinimation.com, scroll all the way back 35 pages to the beginning. So you can pick up the Carpenter story kind of there where, where the fog leaves off and escape from New York uh, picks up. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I, you know, I, I think we all enjoyed the movie. Where do you guys rank it amongst the, the other Carpenter films? You know, by this point, we've seen a lot of them. David, you probably still have a few to go. But, you know, we've got Precinct 13. We've got Halloween, The Thing, Escape from New York. Uh, Brent, I know you've seen Christine and Starman, Big Trouble, They Live. I've seen all, all these but Starman. So I'm, I'm in. I, I can rank I can rank it. All right. Where, where All right. do you, David, where would you put it? It's up. It's in the top half. Uh, I think, honestly, I don't know if I, I may not, I mean, I'd have to really compare. I might like this more than the thing. I think it's, I, whoa. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing heavy, is, heavy, man. The thing is fine, but like, I don't know. My like, body, is, my soul just left my body for a second there. This is fine. <laughs> like, I don't know. This is, I mean, it's so low budge and, you know, just, I don't know. There's more going on here. I'm, I enjoy it a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, all these, I mean, all these movies back from, from back then. I mean, they're just, the, it, it's hard to, you know, there's not a clear like winner or loser in a lot of ways. I mean, there's obviously like the, the upper tier, but yeah, no, really. Yeah. This is up there. This is up there for me. Big fan. I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't want to give it a number. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. Like, I think you already sure. did. Didn't you say like nine five? You you were. I don't. I'm not going to promising <laughs> on the reconsider scale. Like yeah. Well, we haven't talked the scale. We oh, well, okay, let's, let's do it. We'll do them both. Both here. Uh, no, this is a solid eight right here. This is it. Like this is a uh, this is a big movie right here. Yeah, Ghost Story eight eight point oh. Here 8.0. we go. That's a high rank for David Munchak. I don't. I never go past seven. I think so. Hey, welcome welcome the fog all right brensky um, what about you where do you what all right what where do you rank it amongst the carpenter films well Just your personal your personal okay. choice yeah when we're talking about the carpenter films i'm only talking about the movies from assault on precinct 13 until they live yeah everything else i'm not con- counting in here agreed i, w- I would only- throw in the mouth of madness in there but that's you know the only other one Eh, I don't know. You can do that, but um, I would put it. I, you know, I haven't seen Christine in a long time, and I haven't seen Starman in a long time. But I would put it. I would put it ahead of Assault on Precinct Thirteen, Christine, Starman, Prince of Darkness. See. Um, but then all the others I would put ahead of it for me. So that's mm. Halloween, uh, Escape from New York, The Thing, uh, Big Trouble, and They Live, like I think are all for me. I prefer them. I have more fun with those. But this one was a pretty awesome surprise. And I like Christine and Starman in those movies a lot. Sure. So that's. I, like all those movies I listed, every single one of them, I enjoy thoroughly. So, so good. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's a looking through that run. That's a insane run of movies. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that would be I'm trying to remember memoirs of an invisible man. I don't really remember that one. So, 
Uh, neither does a lot of other people. It's yeah. it's Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah. I think it was like ninety three. Oh, that's a John yeah. Carpenter movie. Now yeah. I remember it. Yeah, that was John Carpenter. It is. It is very uncarpenter like, but it is him. I can't I liked, imagine. I liked Ghost Dad better than. So <laughs> I, I can't Ghost imagine. Dad theater. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I can't imagine Chevy and John Carpenter was a good mix back no. then, especially. But who knows. Um, all right, so what do you rank it on the Reconsider scale? David gives it an 8.0. Where does Brent Hutchinson stand? Uh, I'll give it a, like a 7.3. 7.3. Oh. Yeah, sure. Okay. Beautiful. Now, if we go ranking all the other Carpenter movies as we do them over the next few years, don't call me out on the <laughs> rankings if it doesn't follow suit with what it's, I just you said. You know what? It's of the moment. It's yeah. uh, it's how it feels to you right it's how you now. Feel right, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. giving it a seven three. I mean, listen, I would I want to watch They Live again, like immediately. Like I want of all the movies you just listed, like oh well, They Live, like that's you can I have it. It's on yeah. Apple. You can you, you can watch it on my Apple. Oh, don't don't. Uh, we don't promote uh, illegally sharing. We don't, we don't do passwords that. here. We would never. That's do not what I said. I said you're <laughs> part of my family and watch it on the. You are my brother. Account. That's you, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, peek behind the curtain. You guys, despite the different last names, are actually brothers. So we're blood brothers. Yeah, we grew up together. Yep. Yeah, Texas. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correcticus. Um, all right, I'm gonna say this is having seen it again recently and really enjoying it. I think this is top five, maybe number six for me of Carpenter films. Uh, it's. I'm a huge thing fan, so nothing's going to replace that for me. That's my number one. Then I'm going to go big trouble just for pure fun. Halloween, a super close, you know, close number three, right behind big trouble. Um, Escape from New York right after that. And then I would probably say number five is the fog, Mm. you know, followed very closely by assault. Uh, Christine, they live are all kind of right around there. Prince of Darkness, it's been a minute since I've seen that, so I need to give that one another shot. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, right now, I'm going to say The Fog breaks into the top five for me. Nice. Wow. I like that. Uh, and yeah. I will say, I'll probably give it a 7.8. Whoa. So, All right. Sandwich right between you guys. There was, there, there was um, I, I really love the tone of this one it didn't feel like quite as perfect as some of those other carpenters for me of Halloween, the thing, especially like those are like perfect, perfect tones. This was maybe like a half notch off for some reason. And I, I couldn't pinpoint why, but you know, maybe it's just that so early in his career, maybe he just, you know, obviously with the problems that he had and going back and reshooting so much of it, that it is difficult to match that same tone when you're right in the middle of production. So to have to go all the way back in and redo it, it yeah. that could have been what just shook it off for me a little bit. But yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, I would say that the movie holds up really well. Uh, you know, is it a little bit dated? Sure, um, but there's so much working for it that uh, if you're looking for a traditional, you know, straightforward horror ghost story movie, it's not going to get a lot better than The Fog. Mm-hmm. No. No, no, I, and the special. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. The 
Uh, no, I, I was just gonna say, like, there's not a lot of problematic things about it. It's like a straightforward story. Like, it, it, and you know, I, I know we can every movie we have to acknowledge the problematic elements of the things of the time. It's like, well, this is pretty just this doesn't really have that. I'm just it's just nice to be like, it's just a straightforward ghost story movie. And, yeah. You know, like we don't need like we don't have to once again point out the sexism and racism and homophobia that is rampant through every goddamn script from the 70s. You know, uh, but I don't think you really see that in much of Carpenter's stuff to begin with. So it's just it's a story about people. And like, that's what he just does so well. And like, yeah, this is like a refreshing look at that stuff. I don't know. So I was just happy about that kind of thing. Yeah, well, and he's got, you know, strong female characters here, especially with Stevie Wayne. And, yeah. and you know, so there's there's a lot to that between Halloween and this and and uh, some of his other films that he's you know, he does have strong female leads and especially with Jamie Lee, even though she's not really the lead, the only problematic thing is just the hopping into the sack with Tom Atkins. But you know what? Who well, would they, they're two consenting adults who had sex and it wasn't like he seduced her. It just no. happened. There so was like, hey, you there's gained. no problematic yep. elements there at all. Yeah. Whatsoever. Yeah. So anyway, but but uh, Brian, you were going to say something not so uh no, I was just going to kind of say, yeah, you know, I, a lot of times in these older movies, like the special effects are things that kind of tend to draw me out of it, but I don't sure. really feel like the that's the case here. Some of the monster effects, maybe, or or the makeup effects, you know, but they're kind of quick and and you know some of the some of the lighting effects, but the the yeah. the fog effects and things like that, like all kind of work fine, you know. So, and yeah, I they, like. The effects are by, are by Rob Bottin, who did the effects on the thing. So one of the best uh, in the industry. And, you know, he retired very early in his career and doesn't even like discuss the movie business anymore, really? uh, but was so good. Yeah, it was so great. I just like how polite all this undead sailors were where they just knock on doors all day yeah they're just like hey we come to kill you here's a question so i read somewhere about this because they published a book uh based on uh the movie or in conjunction with the movie that clarifies this a little bit but the the six that the that the ghost sailors were going to kill um are they are they descendants of the original people that killed the sailors or are they not no, they they are. Yeah, I I think there was some kind of uh, they alluded to it in the movie. I think that I think they said it right. They I, I don't know if they said it outright. They alluded to it because in what I was reading, they said that the book clarifies it for sure. Yeah, um, that they are. But then I find that that I don't I call shenanigans a little bit because there's kind of some weird. Uh, tracking of people then if 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 that's the case but i i found it interesting that that could be um that could be uh something that you could look at well, it's convenient well, it, that three descendants were on the same boat then mike and it, got it is convenient but it makes the, maybe it makes sense they've just had it in their family you know that yeah well, and then it's the what the babysitter and and andy and, and you know charles like, cyphers yeah so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I'll just. I, I think it works better if it's vague and it do, and it goes unanswered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not. 
I'm less I'm less buying that they're yeah that they're just killing direct descendants. Although I would believe that a ton of the direct descendants pro- probably live in the town. A hundred years later, sure, of course. Yeah. like that's not that long. Yeah. yeah, no, it's really not. So well, like, a, I a hundred years ago was 1921. Doesn't feel like it. it. But it seems it seems like everybody's a direct descendant. That's yeah. the. Yeah. They're all related to each other. So are they time. all? Are, are they all a direct? Maybe that's it. Maybe just everybody in the town it's is very awesome. inbred. It's a very well, inbred. You know town. what? It would it would mean Jamie Lee Curtis is the safest person in that in that's that true. story because she doesn't that's live right. there. So that's, that's true. Um, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right, cool. Well, um, very much enjoyed the fog. Always love looking back at. John Carpenter's uh, work, especially his early work, which we still have a bunch to get through. So uh, on the remainder of our 53 year contract, we have so many, so many more to go. It's going to be great. Yes. Um, yes. But in the meantime, we have a fun month of Shocktober uh, coming your way. So stay tuned, like we said, with some very special guests, uh, another special non-horror episode coming your way soon and um yeah that's about it uh i want to say quick uh thank you and some extra shout outs this week so uh thank you to curtis moore for the poster as usual we always love uh your work and how you find ways to uh uh you know get us to recall the days where we were on set uh just (laughs) working our way into all these posters so uh, and thank you to our friend E.K. Wimmer for the theme music like usual and check out his podcast Laser Graves uh, always has some fun interesting topics on his show and uh, some other friends of ours uh, Movie Muggins who is somebody we we uh, interact with on, on Twitter quite a bit and Instagram and uh, they have a fun show as well as uh, our friend uh, Jay Blake with Scored to Death the podcast and the the book series uh, looking back at horror film scores uh, over, you know, the whole course of uh, mostly recent horror history, recent meaning since uh, the 70s, really, kind of like our show. But um, uh, a fun, fun book series and podcast. So so check that out. If you uh, haven't, you can find those anywhere you get podcasts. And don't forget to uh, check us out on social media. We're Reconsidimation Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, whatever that other social media site is. And uh, you can, of course, check out our archives at www.reconsideration.com. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of plugging. I'm out of yeah, breath. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Take a, <laughs> take a breath. Uh, all right. Well, a fog is rolling in here to the studios. So I'm, I'm coming. David, I'm coming over into the booth. I need some snuggles until uh, we get through this. So I always. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Bye now.